Greetings. We are uh, limping towards the finish line of 2022. Carl, see any movies this year? Um, yeah, I got two pages worth. We talked about two pages full of movies this year. Oh, two pages with three columns each page. That's how many movies we talked about on the podcast. Aha. Well, I would like to welcome our guest, Cam Wig of Popcorn for Breakfast podcast, Jim Batts of We Are Movie Geeks, Jim Tudor of Zeke Film, and our fearless leader for the St. Louis Film Critics Association. So hi, Thank guys. Happy hi. to be here. I, I think we are blurry-eyed or bleary-eyed from watching a lot of movies this awards season, and we're kind of at a, a end-of-the-year low malaise but we're going to talk about uh that was good in 2022 and what wasn't but i discovered from variety yesterday that nine of the top 10 grossing films were sequels and the other one was the batman which isn't a sequel but it's a reboot yeah so what do you guys think about that it, that it's not a, interesting, not a surprise. Yeah, yeah, no, it's no big shocker, really. No. But that's what's going to get people to go out to a movie theater. Right. We're still down 30% in ticket sales, and there are 40 less movies made in 2022 or are, are released in 2022 than in 2019. So it's a rebound year, and I suspect we'll see that a lot. What do you guys think of this trend of having three-hour movies? Because these uh, it, uh, writer-directors uh, don't. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think it's that. I don't think the writer-directors have that much power when it comes down to it. Um, I, I mean, a handful do, but we've gotten the movies have gotten longer beyond that. And I've been thinking about why that might be, and I think it has to do with the theaters have lost their uh, some of their cachet in terms of what they can demand in terms of running time. And they're desperate. They've got 20 screens to fill in some cases with some of these cineplexes and, 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 you know, they're, they're desperate to fill the screens. Ultimately it doesn't matter how long movies are in some strange ways as, as far as theaters go. And as far as people streaming movies go, the streamers don't care because all they hit is whether cares whether you hit play or not they don't care how long but only for a couple minutes they they netflix counts numbers of minutes watched so it's billions of minutes so it doesn't it doesn't even matter if you watch the whole thing or not exactly so 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 you're saying they're being yeah so they're being more more indulgent or 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 the the streamers have more clout than theater owners because the theater owners i would think would want shorter uh, length films right. so that they can get more screenings and more turnover during the day correct yeah typically that's been the case but not anymore that's my my guess i well, i don't know i'm guessing well with a with a streamer you can even if you hit pause and never come back to it they don't care if you come back to it just as mm-hmm. long as you're watching something else on exactly. their service exactly so it's not it's not really fair to the theater owner and the theater owner is not making money on the film anyway. They're making money on mm-hmm. concessions. 
Well, we had a lot of awards bait films this fall that I that I thought fell short because they were so self-indulgent. And also, uh, I think during the pandemic, people did a lot of navel gazing. And I feel some of the directors just went on and on and on. Like, for instance, Sam Mendes in Empire of a Light, which has good things to recommend, but he he started writing one story and wound up adding social relevant things that didn't seem to work all that much from the original idea. What do you guys think? Uh, well, with a movie Empire like that, Light, I think I think you're correct. Yeah. Sorry, Carl. No, no, go ahead, Jim. I, I, I did not see Empire of Light because oh, they screened okay. it during Sliff four months ago. Man. Well, as I say, I think you're right with that one, Lynn. I, although, although I can think of another film that takes a detour that definitely works. I think uh, Apollo 10 and a half starts as sort of a, a space fantasy and, and makes, a, makes a complete turn into how cool it was to grow up in the late 60s. So at that then it worked, but yeah, I could say uh, I, I would much rather have seen uh, a, a profile of uh, working in this uh, in this small theme. Well, it's a pretty good sized theater on the beach in uh, in the early '80s, rather than this uh, this this woman's complete breakdown, which is what the Empire of Light is is really about. So, yeah, the uh, the the beautiful film and just how Toby Jones. Uh, was the projector and the how he took care of everything and that was in the days of the pre-digital and we all remember that and i know i thought it was going to be like a cinema paradiso but from brand uh, brando so before we talk about other disappointments let's talk about what was good what were some of the things that you guys uh took you by surprise in a pleasant way Sam, let's start uh, with you. Yeah. Are we talking overall themes or specific films? Yeah. Anything you want to bring up that you were surprised at how pleasantly surprised at how good it was? Uh, well, I was I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I was really ple pleasantly surprised categorically by horror this year. I think it's exciting to see where horror is at as a genre. I thought it was a, a you know, I thought it was a lack, 2022 was a lackluster year for film, but a good year for genre filmmaking. And I think that horror is probably the best example of that. Um, and there were a lot of, a lot of films like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that seemed like it, it wasn't going to be anything special. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that film quite a bit. Um, both of Ty West's films this year, X and Pearl were excellent films. Um, Smile. Smile, Smile, which, which actually was a commercial success as well when it was, originally made for streaming so that's that's one of the few and far between success stories commercially at, at the box office this year but i think horror as a genre um i was really really impressed with this year but more specifically um looking at films that i that i was pleasantly surprised by um well i think to me, the big surprise was everything everywhere all at once, just because it sort of came out of nowhere. Um, the Daniels being relative newcomers to um, everything and, and, and not knowing what really to expect from that film. It, it certainly, it was, it was very surprising to me. Um, and I think Top Gun Maverick, I think legacy sequels 
as a rule, I, I am usually not impressed by legacy sequels. I think there's so Scream much to, five. Yeah. I, th- I think there's so much to balance there. Um, but it was, it was a smash hit and a, and a really fun watch and um, probably a best picture nominee before it's all said and done. Jim Bats, what's on your mind? Well, uh, pleasant surprises. Um, Emily the Criminal comes to mind right away. Uh, that was a really strong crime thriller that I don't think got enough play in theaters, and I, I was really uh, pleased by it. I was also pleased in general by a lot of films that went to streaming that were very much worthy of a theatrical release. I'm thinking of Prey, which is one of the best of the Predator series. I'm thinking of, uh, of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which I think was my favorite comedy of the year. I'm thinking of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which not enough people have gotten to see because it's on Roku. And uh, maybe this is something that uh, Mr. Tudor will uh, want to address a little later on, but I thought that uh, this year has been an exceptional year for all different types of animation in feature films. I think uh, it's it's maybe a, a weird benefit of the pandemic, all these artists working at home and coming up with a lot of really unique ideas and using a lot of different techniques. We had a couple of really fabulous stop motion animated films, uh, three if you count Marcel, the shell. Uh, we had Pixar fumbling a bit with, uh, with Lightyear, but... Uh, actually uh, tackling new, more adult territory with Turning Red. Uh, We had uh, Sea Beast on Netflix, a terrific uh, CGI film. Uh, Another film which used uh, closer to the classic 2D animation is My Father's Dragon on Netflix. That's very good. So uh, so yeah, those were all the the, the big surprises to me. I I think that uh, there were a couple other uh, films that went directly to Hulu. Rosalind and uh, the Princess that were deserving of theatrical release. So, uh, streaming is not the dumping ground we thought uh, that it might be. This uh, thought it might be the modern equivalent of uh, a film going straight to home video, but it's it's not the case. Uh, well, especially with uh, what Netflix has uh, come out with. Even though, you know, Glass Onion got a, a one week theatrical release, it would be considered really a, a streaming film. So there you go. Mr. Tudor, what's on your mind? Well, per the original question, uh, what surprised me pleasantly this year, uh, I was going to just say the weird the Al Yankovic story. This has been uh, something that, mm, I you know, is based on a on a short they did many years ago online. with Aaron Paul. Yeah, it was a goofball little thing they did, and then it's like, oh, we're going to stretch it into a feature. So you know, as big of a fan of Weird Al as I am, and I'm a tremendously big fan of Weird Al, I had to say I was a little skeptical of this one because the stills looked suspect, like Daniel Radcliffe in a Weird Al wig and mustache. It just looked kind of dumb and cheap and quite frankly, just too quickly made. And I heard it was filmed in 18 days, which I know is just about the threshold of how the amount of days possible to make 
something semi-watchable, a semi-watchable feature film. And 18 days is kind of the bottom rung. When you're when you're doing fewer days than that, it, it just tends not to work out at all. So I thought, oh boy, this is gonna, I don't know. I wish they would have put more into this. When I finally got around to watching it, all of that went away. All of that went away. This is a wonderful movie and uh, Daniel Radcliffe in the silly wig and Weird Al costume is completely justified because nothing in this movie is really true. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe four percent it comes close to being true, you know. And that's the whole point. He's satirizing the very threadbare uh, musician biopic subgenre, and um, and yeah, that's been satirized before. But I think this just does it a lot more cleverly and with a still living. Uh, uh, subject who takes part in the movie, uh, it kind of brings a new life to it. So that one, Weird Al, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Lynn, would you like to go next? I would, Carl. Thank you. Um, I am going to talk about some of the performers that I was blown away by. And I have to start with Austin Butler in uh, Elvis. A star is born, even though he's been knocking around the Disney Nickelodeon channels for a long time. He was electric as Elvis. I think uh, Baz Luhrmann's interpretation, uh, you gotta, even if you didn't quite uh, get on board with the film, uh, you have to admire the boldness of uh, what he tried to do, but I really liked how it helped restore the luster of why was Elvis a big deal? And I liked the going back into the black music influence and also the social upheaval of the 60s. So I think Austin Butler is gonna be um, in contention for an Oscar, I hope so. I like Cam, I am not the biggest horror person because uh, in later years I've become a weenie about watching them at night because I tend to dream about them, but I watched Pearl and X. Uh, but you watched them backwards. I know, and I actually am glad I did that. Uh, I was really impressed with his style and I look forward to what he's going to do. And those two movies- Well, he's making so, a third one that'll be out in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, so well done gave me the willies the whole time. And I just watched Smile the other day and that just creeped me out to no end. Oh my God. Woo. And Sosie Bacon, I think is obviously, she's got the lineage with Kevin Bacon and Kyra, Kyra Sedgwick being her parents. But I thought she showed real uh, presence there. And I wanna talk about Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. And Cooper Rafe is, a uh, talent that I hope to hear more from. He wrote, directed, and starred in this crowd pleaser. It was the audience award winner at Sundance. It's just a heartfelt slice of life about a guy getting out of college and trying to find his way. And he gets the party started at all these bar mitzvahs, hence the title. And uh, I just was really impressed with that. Well, what I would like to be made known, let me say this. I was surprised that I was going to talk about weird, the Al Yankovic story. And I'm surprised that two of you already have mentioned it because I, 
I, Al Yankovic is very niche and he is beloved. And as you can see by all the cameos that were in that movie, people love him. And they just said, oh, you want me to be in your movie? Absolutely. Like Conan O'Brien was saying, he didn't like have a script and he, he just showed up and they like, oh, we want you to be uh, in the movie. And he's like, 100% for sure, yes. And yeah. so they, the fact that no one is seeing it is very suspect. And what you were talking about, Jim Bats, about the blurring of the lines between these streamers and films, uh, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers won an Emmy. So that means that that movie's not going to be eligible for Oscar consideration. But also, uh, Sea Beast from Netflix is going to be eligible for. Be, it doesn't it the rules and lines are very blurred right now and that surprises me i thought that netflix is doing it smart by hedging their bets by putting all these movies in theaters for a week no matter what because they like if they're going to change the rules we still want to have uh our shot and so that surprised me that they that the academy has still not said oh we're going to accept streamers we're not going to because remember they said they were going to do it for one year and they never clarified anything after that and there are things that we were talking about what surprised me also this year is the way that they're staggering these films um we max voice and i love the movie pompo the cinephile which debuted in japan in 2021 we did not get to see it until April of this year, but it was in one film festival, so it was eligible. And like Lynn, uh, we were talking about, I counted, I went through the math. We, on the podcast, we reviewed 167 films. And one of the films that we watched was uh, The the Worst Person in the World, which didn't come out till the end of January. And so right. these people are hearing about these movies. Like we talk, we've talked, we've all seen women talking. And we all probably really enjoy women talking, but no one's going to see that movie till the end of January. I know it's for Oscar consideration, and I know a lot of award bait movies come out at the end of the year, but that's not how people watch movies anymore. I wish no, there's, yeah. it, it was better. I There should be a better system for this. Well, I know that there's always movies that fall through the cracks and uh, Scott Cooper has come out with The Pale Blue Eye, which I've seen now on Netflix and I uh, really admire it. Uh, it's a, it's an old fashioned page turner like mystery involving his fiction, but it has Edgar Allan Poe and Harry Melling's fabulous as the cadet and Christian Bale, who's made three movies with Scott Cooper. Dudley that, Dursley. It, Dudley Dursley was, is playing <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe. But that cinematography, that score, the uh, production design, it's a harsh winter in upstate New York. It is marvelous. It's a slow, methodical mystery doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles that has surprising twists but it's going to be one of these that fall through the cracks probably not getting any no nominations it's like hostiles did a couple of years ago that is a great movie that scott cooper did and i think it didn't have a distributor i think a lot of things are because of the studios how they promote things uh, there's some movies that we saw this year 
that were excellent that the studios did not promote at awards time. And we even, as the St. Louis Film Critics Group, we voted for RRR, but did we ever see it beforehand or get a push for it? No. Well, it was, it was on like Netflix. word of mouth. Yeah, I know, but yeah. it was it was word of mouth. Netflix yeah, well, didn't even push well, it. Yeah, well, Lynn, oh yeah, go ahead, Jim. The site that I often contribute to is called Screen Anarchy and it's global niche, you know, wackadoodle, you know, the bonkers, the better kind of movies that, you know, these people flip out over. Um, and RRR is like worshipped there. So I, I had a bead on this movie early on that that, that Don't it was call coming. it Bollywood, call it Tollywood. Right. That that it was coming and that it was something very different from Indian filmmakers, and uh, and it's three hours long. So, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, for those of us in the St. Louis film critic sphere or whatever, and we're used to being serviced by a very narrow uh, avenue of uh, <laughs> public publicity, publicity and whatnot. You know, which which does its job wonderfully well, but if something isn't brought into that avenue we are not going to have it on our radar per se and rrr is what you're talking about there um and you know we that that you know that's just a, a matter of having to go out and do our due diligence and tell each other to go watch this thing because you know it might uh it might just be a, a big contender but what uh, about what about Bahubali? you know it's uh, his his other ss roger Mooley's other film from 20, 2015, I think it's very similar to RRR. I was kind of surprised that yeah, I, RRR is the one that cuts through the noise when Bahubali has been on Netflix for years, is very similar in terms of style and things yeah. like that. But I guess the timing was just right for right. it because, you know, I wasn't, I'm one of the people who wasn't floored by RRR because it felt similar to something I had already seen. And so I didn't have the shock and awe factor of it. Still liked the movie, but I, I was a little bit surprised to see that one cut through the noise. I, I don't know. And I, if I could, yeah. I think I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was going to. I was. No, I'm sorry. I was going to mention the menu because we did not get a screening of that. No. And somehow it did get a couple of nominations with our, our group. I think for best comedy, best special screenplay, but because people went to uh, go see it on their own. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it 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 doesn't help that uh, some of these studios. You know, this, that would be a Fox Searchlight film. Don't consider uh, St. Louis a major market or anything in between the coasts a major market. And that's that's very frustrating because I think the venue could uh, could have picked up some more uh, nominations, some different uh, awards, but it's you know, studio decisions, I, th I think, you know. Well, you could oh. say the same thing about the Woody Harrelson film where everyone's throwing up. They didn't show that to us either. No, and I won't. I'm sorry, but I am not watching 20 minutes of people vomiting. That no was maybe four minutes. Okay, yeah, really? It's not, it's not too long. It's not too it's long. Not, okay, it's yeah, but really that's, that's what's that's what's being highlighted. I, I okay, thought it was well, hilarious. Okay. That that was a great movie. Honestly, it was very very clever, very well made. That's called Triangle of Sadness, by the way. Right, well, and I'm a lot of and a lot of people then. are putting it on their top ten lists. Go yeah, ahead. I'm gonna watch it now that I know it's not 20 minutes, but. Uh, yeah, no, I will. Another movie that they did not show us that is marvelous is The Outfit with Mark Rylance. It's a crime drama set in 
Chicago and it's uh, he plays a ta- uh, he runs a tailor shop but he's a cutter he's from England and Johnny Flynn is one of the bad guys and it's got a terrific Zoe Deutsch is his assistant it has wonderful twists and turns it's by Graham Moore uh, it, this is his first directorial movie although he wrote the imitation game Okay, and uh, they didn't show it to us. It's streaming on Amazon Prime, and I just watched it the other night, and I'm recommending it. It did get a couple of our nominations. I mean, people did vote for it, but that's because they found it on their own. Yeah. So, uh, would Triangle of Sadness be part of a sort of a a, a trend this past year of the rich getting punished? Yes. Along with uh, yes. the menu and and glass onion and white Correct. lotus. Well, on the, TV, uh, on the TV. TV side, yeah. Yeah. And even uh, so. Lost Illusions, which is a great movie from France that no one saw. Uh, you know, that's another one. So, yes, Jim, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The rich being punished, the rich are terrible, eat the rich. All of this is. Well, is Mrs. Boiling. Harris Goes to Paris, which has now been made into a movie three times, is all about uh, poor people getting it up on the rich. Yeah, it's not exactly a new theme, but people are finding no. fun ways to punch punch that punching bag a little bit. Exactly. It's 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 old as the hills, but it feels relevant right now in the way it's being presented to us in these films like Glass Onion, that uh, you know, the the tech bro uh who's actually an empty shell. Uh, you know, these sorts of tropes grafted onto that notion um make it make all the difference. Now, I know. So what ahead, do Lynn. you think about uh, everything, everywhere, all at once? Is it, it was the best film for the critics and Clearly, it's on, yes. yeah, from St. Louis film critics and it's, it's uh, awards magnet. It's it wasn't of- even close there. The second place had half of its votes. It was a runaway winner. It's not like people were decrying against it. And I don't know anyone who does not, think that it is a marvelous piece of filmmaking and i didn't know these daniels uh at all but i want to say uh besides you know i have trouble with the whole multiverse thing because that's just my brain but that's that that, you can take that out of it it doesn't you don't need it's science fiction it doesn't matter it's just a it's a MacGuffin. right well what i'm gonna say is what I like the most of this movie for all its bells and whistles, for all its ambition and imagination and all the bells and whistles. What I like is the family drama and the quirky comedy and uh, the acting. If Ki Huai Kwan does not win Best Supporting Actor, it's a travesty because to me, he is the heart and soul of that film. And if he is, is uh, he deserves every award that he's getting this season, including ours. I believe that he's going to be up for independent spirit as well, because that's, that is technically an independent film. That's right. Yeah. 24, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I tell people you've never seen anything like it. I had to watch it again just so that I could. (laughs) Well, I was very surprised at the way that people rallied around that film. Almost almost too avid of of fandom happening around that film in some areas of film Twitter. But I think that the reason for that is probably the accessibility of the themes. I think people can watch it 
and understand it. It wasn't streaming for a long time. Right. And they don't have to take a huge cognitive leap if you're new to film or something like that in order to get what they're going for. And so that ability to have that level of imagination, have the many, many themes that they have layered into it, but still be accessible, I think is the reason that it's uh, kind of transcended where it would normally be pigeonholed into well, random indie film. I told Lynn to watch that movie for six months and she's like, and then finally she watched it and it changed her whole top 10 list. Yeah, well, it did. But also, I will say I was holding out to see it on a big screen, actually, because that's what I heard that you had to do. And then I knew that wasn't going to happen. But it is streaming on Showtime, FYI, if people haven't seen it and they want. What's the deal with this? Another thing I think is sometimes we go into film season with high expectations, like my expectations were far too high for the Fablemans to like, like I mean, Spielberg's and- one of them. <laughs> will defend him when other people will start right but his and um, and blonde and oh, babylon I, oh my god okay. so, so. Do, do mr president I, I well i was going to say something else about everything everywhere all at once and go go go, go I, do it you know before she switched it to fablements um i i was going to say uh that I think part of the reason that movie caught on it, it's a great, fresh, unexpected movie uh, that is a big screen experience that people want. But also, also, and not to go negative on something that I actually enjoy and like most of the time, but this is, I think, 2022 is also the year we started to really see Marvel fatigue. Um And I, as a lifelong fan of Marvel comics and living the dream of these giant Marvel films, um, even me, it was starting to feel Marvel fatigue, uh, you know, with the backlog uh, from the pandemic when we didn't have, you know, two years of no Marvel movies. And then all of a sudden the glut came in along with all the Disney plus Marvel. The TV shows were better than the films. So, yeah, the, the the film that came out at the same time as Everything Everywhere All at Once was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I remember the discourse being something that I never thought I'd hear in my life. Critics and observers saying that Doctor Strange is not even the best multiverse movie that week. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> that's because everything well, everywhere all at once sniped it. And, because and- because Jim, everyone coming into this movie has been we've been waiting for it for so long, and everyone going in said they better not make Scarlet Witch the villain. And they knew that coming in, and then mm. Marvel just pulled the rug out, even though it's comic book and yeah. she and Wanda might come back. Well, yes, Jim. I don't I could, know. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was going to add to uh, everything all at once. I had an interesting uh, couple of conversations over the holidays with uh, with family members asking me, so this everything all at what's it about? And you can't really <laughs> talk much about her. It's about it. a woman who has to pay her taxes. That's it. A woman That's who's right. laid on and her taxes. But uh, I'm going to be a little bit of a Marvel defender here because I will say with uh, Doctor Strange, you know, there's been this um, overriding thing that uh, going around that uh, Marvel squelches the personality of the directors. They just become, you know, factory Mm -hmm. workers. 
Cogs in the machine. Yeah, Doctor Strange is a Sam Raimi movie through and through, maybe even more so than his Spider-Man trilogy with uh, with Tobey Maguire. But uh, you know, it's it's you know has elements of uh, you know his Evil Dead movies, even Drag Me to Hell, mm -hmm. and uh, there are some wonderful moments in it. I think it was the best of the three there Marvel are. films. There are but, some uh, they, wonderful they, moments in that film. The whole Illuminati yeah. scene is really well done. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, no, I enjoyed I the enjoy wackiness it. of the music notes as weapons, you know? Sorry, Jim. <laughs> I did it. I did enjoy Doctor Strange. I, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying um, that in the broader scheme um, and stepping outside my own fandom and whatever, uh, that what I'm seeing is a lot of Marvel fatigue. It's real. And I think Marvel and Disney know it. I think they're I, assessing how to go forward with their marvel studios project not counting not counting the tv shows which there were many of and ms marvel the first two episodes of ms marvel were better than anything that they put in theaters this year of the three marvel movies that came out this year if you can name all three which do you think is the best first you have dr strange then you have thor, thor. love and thunder and then finally wakanda forever which do you think is the th best of the three? I think it's Wakanda forever and it's not close personally. True. I agree with you, Cam. I would say for artistry's sake and uh, for the people being back, the uh, they had to do the whole uh, uh, T'Challa uh, memorial tribute. Angela Bassett hasn't been that good in years. Ruth Carter, her costumes are stunning and she might win another Oscar for it. Uh, I think it had more heart. I don't, I think it was rather busy with the, the whole uh, underwater jazz, but I want to say something about the Marvel movies from a non-fan perspective. Uh, I've sat through all the Marvel movies and there's some that I really enjoy. Um, I'm noticing this trend of I have to do homework and I don't want to have to do homework when I'm watching a movie. I don't know these lesser characters and it's getting to be a chore trying to figure out who is who and why they matter and why is this happening. And uh, for instance, Dr. Strange, I think if you are not up to speed on these characters, it's a hard watch because it's just getting a little bit convoluted jim bats what do you think uh, my favorite of the three hands down dr strange multiverse of madness i uh, i think uh wakanda forever is uh is is bloated and uh being a longtime marvel fan uh i hate to be a stick in the mud but i did not care for their reinterpretation of uh the submariner of uh, prince namor and I think he's kind of a bland villain for the uh, mm. the way they have him portrayed in this. Marvel's film. always had a villain problem, though. For thirty-two uh, movies, no, no, they... I think I think Scarlet Witch is a terrific villain. I think Thanos is a fantastic mm. villain. I think he was really the star of Avengers: Infinity War. Very complex. Uh, Red Skull, another terrific villain. But uh, here, you know, it's just. It was kind of, you know, I, I just it just seemed like it was spinning its wheels, uh, Wakanda forever. And uh, I, I don't pile on Thor and Love and Thunder as much as a lot of people do. I will say that some of the- I like Thor, Love the, and Thunder. The, yeah, some of the I, comedy is a little goofy. Comedy. I think speaking of villains, I think Christian Bale is an excellent villain as the God killer. I wish they'd given him more to do, 
but uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the trouble is with with Marvel right now is they their big guns are gone. Uh, their original Captain America is gone. I know they're bringing back. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I just forgot Anthony? the Falcon is uh, Anthony Mackie as mm-hmm. as as the as Captain America. And from the reports I've been hearing about the next Captain America sounds kind of interesting. But Iron Man is gone. They've got to really uh, you know. Uh, find new ways to to handle some of the uh, third and, and fifth string characters, and and Lynn, I don't consider it uh, at homework. I think even if I hadn't um, uh, been you know involved with or interested in the Marvel comics, I think the way that they've got the Marvel Studios universe set up, it's like one long incredible miniseries, and they're taking little bits from this one and bits from that one. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I don't you know you know don't mind it at all the connections to the other films. So, Jim Tudor. Jim Tudor. Well, okay. I you know again, I grew up reading Marvel comics. I knew there's hundreds of characters, and I'm all all about this crazy MCU thing, except now that I'm, I'm sitting there you know like i said the marvel fatigue it's hitting me and I, that's that was a shock because dr strange in the multiverse of madness the end credit scene happens where i remember sitting in the theater and dr strange the scene is he gets up he's walking down the street and all of a sudden a portal thing opens and a girl comes out like a superhero and and and, and, and i'm like i don't recognize anything about this and i'm just like it's you know, Shirley she, Theron. She, i know i know but she's like, she's like, oh, Stephen come with Strange. me. You, you know the, you know about the multiverse, but do you know about the googly Googleverse? And he's just like, what? Come with me. And in they go to the thing. And I'm just like, who's that? You know, Eternals and, ended and, like that and though I, too. Yeah, I had to, I had to ask people in the lobby, what was that? Who was that character? And they reminded me, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a character from the comics that I, re- yeah, whatever. Anyway, my favorite of the. Uh, of, so all that to, that part to say, yes, I agree with Lynn um, that, yeah, there can be homework. Um, you know, like I said, I have a f- familiarity. And yes, I agree with Jim Batts. I love the comic Submariner. And I was excited for that character. Before Aquaman. Wakanda. Yeah, Wakanda Forever. That character is just like Marvel's greatest prick. He's a joy to read. The, you know, he's just like this this barbed. You know, and the, the movie just kind of you know anyway my favorite of the marvel movies is of the three is thor love and thunder um it's the i had a ball i'm sorry that's is it because of max Boise's reason no no great in it no that is not that is not i don't care i think she's the very much the weak link and i told max that um i said that uh i I thought this movie was really funny it leads with its themes it's it leads with its themes uh, a, a very heartfelt movie honestly and it is tremendously fun with all the guns and roses and just go for broke 90s like you know late 80s kind of gaudy heavy metal sensibility that i do recall from the comics back then um that movie was a blast it was the only one that i really was jonesing to go see again and i took my whole family to see thor love and thunder at the theater for me for the second time Okay, so both Marvel and DC had three movies out this year. DC had League of Super Pets, The Batman, and Black Adam. Who had a better year? Oh, uh, the Black, uh, the uh, the uh, Batman. Uh, I they went emo with uh, Bruce Wayne, 
and uh it i worked. think he's a good bruce wayne i think robert pattinson is a too. good bruce. He's a great bruce wayne robert pattinson is a far better actor than people give him credit for and but i loved the villain interpretations i loved uh, the tease at the end i thought paul dano was fantastic as the riddler and colin farrell was a good penguin i thought it kept you on your toes the great jim jim bats is shaking his head uh, no the whole moodiness of it i like it's way too long way too long but giacchino's score is the technical elements that moodiness uh i just matt reeves i answer the question lynn who had a better year um uh, marvel or dc well, DC, I think, might have had the better year with the pets and the thing, but not Black Adam. Black Adam was horrible. Okay. Cam. DC had a better year because of what the Batman is and the fact that Marvel fans Stumbled? are losing interest. They're losing interest, as, as Jim Tudor said. Jim Bats. Um, you know, I'm going to say Marvel, of course, but uh, I think that oh, they're overall quality of the three films oh you know is is i think better than than the batman i had trouble with the batman yes it is way too long but i never thought that the penguin should be uh, a version of joe pesci from uh, goodfellas and casino and that's what they turned him into they you know put all this plastic uh, over colin farrell's face and had him kind of screaming through most of it I, I think they could have done something more with uh, with uh, Zoe Kravitz as the, as the Catwoman. And the thing was just so, so dark. I did find the relationship with, uh, with Batman and Commissioner Gordon fairly interesting. And the fact that the, uh, that the, the police are kind of split about him, although I yeah, had a pro- trouble thinking that they would just let him waltz into their investigations. And how he, but, got, uh, out of the, how he got out of the police station was just insane. Well, just the fact that he, we actually got to see Batman look scared at one point when he looks over and sees how high up he is, uh, you know, at the top of the building. But uh, you know, it, it doesn't quite make up for kind of for the blandness of Super Pets and the huge disappointment of Black Adam. Actually, my favorite part of Black Adam is the bonus scene in which we look, we have Henry Cavell actually looking and behaving like Superman. In his final appearance as Superman. (laughs) They were trying to do the S curl. He had a brighter blue suit. I was like, yes, yes. Now we're going to get Superman. And then that's gone. So Jim Tudor, even with the faults of the three Marvel films, I'm going to go with, with, with Marvel for the year. So Jim Tudor. Well, what do I know? I didn't even see super pets or black Adam because I just don't care. Um, I, I, I dragged myself to the Batman. I watched that at the end of the year on my, on a 4k disc that I forced myself to buy. And it's just like looking at, you know, I want fun, colorful Batman. So I was apprehensive to go to this, like, you know, the Batman, which looks like they're taking the Chris Nolan, dark self-serious Batman even further in that direction. And I was just like, I don't want it. But I watched it, and I think it's fantastic. It's a great movie. Uh, length aside, it is too long. But everything There's else a three-minute really... scene of them driving away from each other. Yeah. You know, I, I really the, loved the, the, the Batman. Without the flood and all that, yes. Well, I yeah, think, well, I think that, there's, that a, was, there's a divide. Important. I always call it my, my dad grew up with a, di- a very different Batman than I did. I grew well, up with the, the Frank Miller Batman, the uh, 
Jeff Loeb, that, that Batman. And this, this is, this was my Batman. And this was like, if Matt Reeves approached uh. it as what if you stepped into a nineties Batman comic or an eighties Batman comic written by Frank Miller, illustrated by Tim sale, how would it feel? How would it sound? And I loved that. So, well, my vote, you know, is who's the big winner is Netflix. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, Marvel, those, I can take or leave those movies this year. Um, I, like I said, I, Thor's my favorite, but that's not like in the pantheon of great Marvel films or anything. But, but of um, all those I, six I, films, none of them are on Netflix. Three of them are on HBO no. Max. The other three are on Disney plus. Yeah, no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, I, I have to bounce in a few minutes. So I'm ready to uh, share my own, uh, you know, right, yeah, you what, what are your ready. top three favorite movies of the year? And what are your least three favorite movies of the year, Jim Tudor? Well, uh, you mentioned women talking by Sarah Polly. Uh, this is my number three. It's uh, a very brilliantly directed movie. I mean, it, you know, Thinking ahead, I mean, I dare to predict that of the movies of 2022, Women Talking could be among the higher echelon cinemaphile keepers. This is a great, great, great movie. The way she keeps that movie alive, uh, not only with just, you know, characters talking in a barn the entire movie, they pretty much arrive at their decision early on. And then the rest of the movie is navigating that decision how are they and, going and to it, come how yeah. are they going to follow through it breaks every rule that they tell you about compelling filmmaking when you go to the film school which i did um you know to you know to, you don't keep characters talking you, sh you know the, the old show don't tell thing well here it's tell 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 and man she nails this movie and look at how she handles the male characters in the film the aggressors the villains her answer to that is she doesn't even give them FaceTime. She doesn't even show them. They're not even a factor. They don't have that's any lines. Greatest, that's they have no lines. It's like the, you see a man out a window and he's an ant on the, you know, in terms of film language and visual storytelling, that is brilliant. You know, she just doesn't even give them the time of day. There's no chance for some guy to storm in and eat scenery and, and, you know, be the villain. Um, so women talking is so great in so many ways. It's a very relevant film. Uh, and, uh, and it's made excellently. Now, my second is, uh, my number two of the year, uh, moon edge daydream, the David Bowie experimental quote unquote documentary. It's not really a documentary at all. Um, people who go to this looking to learn something about David Bowie and hear a lot of talking heads talking about how great he was and how brilliant he was, you're not going to get it. This is an experiential immersion into the Bowie sensibility of, you know, cosmic rock and roll and, uh, you know, transgressive sexuality and, uh, you know, just it's all on the table and it's loud and it is just wonderful and it's so much of what I want in a movie. My number one, and this may change because, you know, but it's not a perfect movie by any stretch. But then again, what is White Noise on Netflix? Now, this is a movie that uh, it's Noah Baumbach directing uh, with his significant other Greta Gerwig playing the wife. The main character is Adam Driver based on this 
80s touchstone novel by Don DeLillo. An unfilmable novel. One of those quote unquote unfilmable novels. Yeah. Well, Noah Baumbach found a way in by making it his own. He's working with a bigger budget than he's ever, ever, ever had. And he is obviously having a blast with it uh, with all these, you know, fun little Spielbergian nods. uh, And uh, like there's a, a chaotic chase scene where all the characters have been you know, cordoned off into a camp and all of a sudden chaos erupts and the, the, you can almost see the choreography of the insanity. Uh, It's like Noah Baumbach made himself a checkbox of let's have a guy on a horse. Let's have a kid on a bike. Let's have somebody stumbling through with stuff. Let's have a car. Let's have someone screaming and just like went through a check, check. And it, and it's not convoluted. It's hilarious. And an airborne Um, toxic event. An airborne toxic event, right. This is a movie that, you know, as crazy as people think everything everywhere all at once is, the white noise is far, far crazier. It's like this, there's like my wife and I walked out of that. It's like, what just happened? What did we watch? You know, it it just, you never know what's coming because I didn't read the book. So, you know, it's like, and the dialogue is really stylized and funny. Um, again, it's a family drama, Adam Driver, or well, it's a comedy, but Adam Driver plays a character who is a, uh, uh, an intellectual college professor. So again, this is right in Noah Baumbach's wheelhouse with like Squid and the Whale and the family of geniuses and whatnot, very, you know, um, uncertain of themselves. Adam Driver's character is only confident when he is lecturing and he has to wear a costume to do it, this black cloak and blue uh, sunglasses. It's just such a wacky, weird movie. Yeah, but you know what? In the 1980s, that would have that was absurd that 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 kind of professor would have ever existed. Yeah. Now, now it that you could see that happening now. Two of my favorite scenes in that film are when Don Cheeto and Adam Driver uh, do this whole presentation to their classes in a very theatrical way. It's brilliant. Um, Adam Driver is is a professor about Hitler <laughs> and uh, Don Cheadle is a professor about Elvis. He wants Elvis to be oh. his Hitler. Oh my God. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's such a social satire. Yeah. But the, the, the production design of that film, mm. the, the, the uh, Josh Goncher did the, um, he, he recreated a grocery store out of a Lowe's and that grocery store, that final end credits with Andre 3000. It's wonderful. It's just got so many, it's so weird and it's so wild, but it's so original and it is such a departure for Noah Baumbach. I agree that it's one of the biggest surprises of the year. And Mr. President, go ahead. Today, December 30th on Netflix, I think is, Yes, it yes. becomes widely yeah. available. So everybody, give it a chance. Watch it. Uh, you may not agree with me, but at least give it a shot. Mr. Yeah, President, we know you it. have to leave. Yeah. But, uh, what What were the three films that disappointed you this year? Oh, heck. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't remember. And I don't care. Perfect. Um, Love yeah, those answers. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not prepared. Um, no. I, uh, yeah. So uh, those are mine. And you guys, yeah, I'm sorry. We, tr- I we to- try not to see bad movies. That's the thing. I've gotten good at it. 
you know, I, I've got, you know, after so many years of doing this, I've kind of gotten good at the, the radar. Uh, sometimes it, it tricks me and I miss a good movie. Um, right. Because I think it's going to be bad and I'm wrong. Or, um, or the other way around. Or that's, the other way around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've, not so often the other way around. I've, I've gotten, like I said, I'm kind well, of. Jim Tudor, thank you for being with us. We're going to pass it over to Jim Bats. We'll talk to you uh, very soon, sir. All right, guys. I'll check in. I'll listen to this later to find out your uh, favorite movies of the year. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, Jim. Jim. Happy All right, Jim, take over. You're three. All right. Three. Uh, you want my. Uh... Yeah, my top three. My top or, three. Or you want to go? You want to go worst? I'm sorry, not where I refuse to say worst. I like to say movies I was most disappointed by. Okay, well, let's go. Let's go with that. Let's go with the. Now I I've got kind of a weird tie at number three in between the the two worst films about old Hollywood, Blonde <laughs> and Babylon. Oh, and both <laughs> over three hours. You wouldn't Good think Lord. that a movie where Marilyn Monroe's getting double teamed with a lot of nudity would be something that people hated watching oh my goodness yeah yeah and you know somebody uh, on facebook somebody was complaining about it and i said well most people are watching it on netflix and they can break it up over a couple of nights we got a theater screening of it and trying to sit through that whole thing with one abuse piled on itself was just too much it's torture porn it took me six what? sittings jim it took, it took me six oh. individual sittings <laughs> i believe it i believe it i i can't then, unsee oh, Lynn, the JFK. Finally, yeah and then lynn you finally caught up with babylon which is you know if you talk about uh, the vomiting scenes there you had projectile vomiting and projectile defecating and they get just about everything in ho about hollywood wrong you get uh, Tommy McGuire as a syphilitic uh, gangster, you know, with some weird underworld stuff. I'm very surprised on on. that they put him in the trailer. I thought for sure they'd want him as a surprise character for people that did go see it. But he's in, he's prominent in the TV spots. Yeah, and he's got a he's got a henchman that just is just fucking up loogies the whole time. That's that's and, Ethan uh, uh, Ethan Ethan Serpley Serpley from uh, my. My name is Earl. Oh, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> you get a golden shower. Max. Oh, Hi, Max. Hey. hey, guys. Hey, I didn't realize hey. you were on some sort of Zoom. I just saw Lynn over here. All right, how are you guys? We're talking about our, uh, you, we're talking about what you and I are going to talk about next Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I got my list done. I'm actually sending that into Zeke today. So I think he's going to post it on Sunday. He well, just you just, it. you just missed it. Yeah. Missed him. <laughs> All right, yeah, Jim, they, what's uh, your, Number two. No, go ahead. Turn around. It's fine. Uh, yeah, my, my number two was came early in the year. And you know that the January is usually kind of a dumping round for, for films. Unless but not for horror. Sort of a, horror, horror is great horror, in January. Not for horror, but this was pretty horrible. And that was the 355, which oh, was the, the women, the women who are action heroes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, I can see where the other one is to show say, hey, we can do an action film also. But unfortunately, they, they made it just as silly and ridiculous and, and you know, lunkheaded as uh, as the, the, the men's, you know, gunpowder milkshake story. did it the year before much better. Oh, but vastly you know, much, much better. And this had a, a really impressive cast. I, I'll watch Jessica Chastain, you know, just do about anything. And, uh, you know, 
and Penelope Cruz, for goodness sakes. And this was just, just wretched. But my uh, my worst film, I think, just dropped on Hulu. There's a little thing that snuck in called Mac and Rita, which is sort of a, a, a harkens back to the body switching films from the 80s. It's in which a, a woman in her early 30s decides that she would rather be in her 70s. She she idolized her grandmother and she wakes up one morning to find herself as Diane Keaton. And it just has a lot of clunky slapstick that would have been, you know, uh, tossed aside on the old Lucy shows from the 60s. And it was just ridiculous and had a cringeworthy romance with uh, with Diane Keaton's character and the hunky uh, sort of superintendent of the apartment building. And it's got, you know, these, these fashion uh, stereotypes, horrible, horrible film. So that was my number one, even though it's not as high profile as Babylon and, and Blonde. For you sure. so. so three best? Yes, sir. Three best. I got to go with number three is Elvis. I was not a huge Baz Luhrmann fan going in, but I think his visual style kind of meshed with the subject matter in this one. And uh, I knew I was in for a good time when they did the uh, the uh, Warner Brothers logo, all diamond studded and rhinestones merging into the TCB logo. Yep. And I, I love the fact that they hit up Elvis's uh, comic book influences. And uh, as Lynn said earlier, Austin Butler, he sold that film, even though you know Tom Hanks is a little hammy in it. Uh, I think Austin Butler brings it back to reality and you really feel for his character. And uh, I think one of my favorite scenes of the year, I almost put in my, my top favorite scenes is Colonel Parker seeing Elvis perform for the first time. That's just a magic sequence. That's terrific. Taking a, well, going to, you know, from a, a modern fairy tale to a classic fairy tale, my number two is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. You know, I, I, uh, have my expectations a bit lowered by Robert Zemeckis' uh, reimagining on uh, on Disney, which I didn't find as horrific as a lot of people did. I did. Lynn hated every second of it. Of it. <laughs> I, I, th I thought it made some interesting choices and there were some good visual gags. You can it. say the same but, thing about Guillermo del Toro's choices. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he he made it his he put his own stamp on it. I mean, Very this much is so. a sister film or a brother film to uh, Pan's Labyrinth, The Shape of Water, to uh, to a lot of uh, of Guillermo's work, and uh, I thought you know it was just visually so so incredible. Uh, the I'm not I've not seen stop motion characters look this this great in a film since I guess maybe Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, it was very, very funny too. There's that sequence when when uh, Pinocchio uh, has come to life and Geppetto's, you know, just thinks he's a demon. It's coming after him with an axe, and, and Pinocchio singing the song, going, "What's a this? So what's that?" And throwing and knives and axes at it. It's terrific, and I I enjoyed the whole thing thoroughly. Uh, and uh, my number one is uh, one that's not getting a lot of attention right now, and that she said. And that's because I, I really enjoy investigative reporting films. I think it uh, can be, you know, set alongside or in between Spotlight and All the President's Men. And it's, it's a weird term that's used, but there's something weirdly romantic about uh, journalistic uh, integrity films and about investigations that these people are sort of uh, modern knights 
going after the truth. And I, I like that it smacks up against a certain leader in recent years calling them the enemy of the public or an enemy of the people. And they are certainly not. They are the, the ones that are, are going to get things done. And it, it, it kind of harkens back also to what Jim uh, Tudor was saying earlier about uh, women talking. We never see Harvey Weinstein full face. We hear him through it. But, uh, you know, he's just kind of this looming, lurking monster through the whole thing. And, oh, I'm making Carl do a strip tease. I'm sorry about that. I just, that's what my voice does to some people. They want to start taking off their clothes there. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, no, I, I uh, oh, you see, you got a tie like a reporter there, I see. So there you go. No, it's, it's very warm in this room. So I needed to uh, oh, okay, okay. take my sweater off. But uh, yeah, and, and of course, she said has some great performances by, uh, by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. I really enjoyed Andre Brower as the, uh, the editor that's not going to take anything from Harvey on the phone. And uh, and I, Patricia you know, Clarkson I, plays the third person because she was their editor. Lynn, I asked you about this when you reviewed it. I said, who's the third person? Patricia Clarkson is that third person who helped them write the book. But I don't know if she gets credit because she was the editor of their work or the fact that she actually helped in the investigation because the movie does not make it look like she was involved in the investigation at all. Just that she edited their work. Guided them with their decisions and, and, uh, okay. Well, and of course she should get credit for it, but then she doesn't get any credit in the movie, but she does get Patricia Clarkson to play her. Yeah. And, uh, like I say, I think, you know, we mentioned in our critics meeting, they, the, the, uh, incredible sequence, with the, the real Ashley Judd coming in there is just uh, is just you know, st- stunned me. I was really surprised by it. So that was that was my favorite film of the year. Cam, what do you have for us? Well, let's start with uh, disappointing films. I'll stick to I'll stick to, with that. Um, these are all films that I expected to be good to some. You wanted degree. them to be good. That's why yeah. you went. Yeah, and uh, for number three, I have to go Jurassic World Dominion. I feel like this one. You know, you got Colin Trevorrow returning to the franchise after I really liked his his original Jurassic World film. I thought the premise and and the the thesis for the move the movie should have been a, a very simple softball. You're finally we finally built to dinosaurs roaming the earth. What does it look like in the modern world? We're bringing back uh, some of our favorite characters, and instead they made a movie about prehistoric bugs. And I thought that that was a really weird choice. I, I thought it totally missed the mark. And most oh, of the we also. We no, also go got cloned teenagers, for goodness yeah, sake. That's true. And, and, the, true. and the scene where there are eight people trying to escape, it's just, it's a, it's a line of sorrow. Yeah, and, and every bit of good dino action in the film you saw in the trailer, there's just really nothing here. Um, it, huge disappointment. I was, I was very upset about it. Number two, this one, um, I don't even know how many people saw this movie, but it's directed by jo- Joseph Kaczynski, fresh off of Top Gun Maverick, and that's Spiderhead starring... Uh, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. It's on Netflix. Um, the premise sounded cool to me, kind of like a experimental uh, drugs on on uh, inmates. You know, they've chosen an experimental te- drug testing program over traditional prison. Um, but this movie is just good old fashioned bad in, in every way. Bad, bad acting, really rough dialogue, and the final third of the movie is you're just what you're just thinking. Why am I here? Why am I here? Uh, so. Uh, for him to have Top Gun Maverick and then that film as his 2022 is is quite a quite uh, uh, two two sides of a very different coin. Um, 
And then finally, Don't Worry Darling is my number one most disappointing <laughs> film. Uh, Lynn, you mentioned earlier directors uh, doing a lot of navel gazing and getting lost in the sauce over the pandemic. I feel like this is probably the best example of that. If you end up with a movie that thinks it's a lot more clever than it actually is, and that is one of the hardest things to watch in film is when a movie thinks it's smart and it's not. And, and Don't Worry Darling is exactly that. Um, coming off of Booksmart, I was really excited for that movie. I really thought we were going to get something new. Olivia Wilde was getting her big budget. The cast had a bunch of interesting names. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not worth the watch even, to be, to be honest with you. Okay, I'll flip over to my top three. Um, to the chagrin of at least one panelist here, my, my number three is the Batman. And <laughs> I will just say that uh, it's, you know, whatever you do these lists, there's, it's always very personal. And I'm, for context, I'm speaking with a litany of Batman merchandise behind me. But as <laughs> I mentioned earlier, like this was the film of my Batman. This was, Matt Reeves was looking at it as a 90s, 80s Batman. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Uh, Michael Giacchino's score, which shamefully is not on the Oscar shortlist for best original score, which I am horrified by. Um, it's incredible. Thought Zoe Kravitz was great. You are all correct in that the movie is absolutely self-indulgent and too long. But for me, no floods, no floods. When you're, <laughs> when you're in a world that you love, you, I, you don't always mind staying a bit longer. So I was, I was okay with it. It just barely beats out the Banshees of Inisherin for, for number three on my list. Number two, I don't think anybody has actually mentioned so far today, and that's After Sun, After Sun by A24, um, starring Paul Mescal. Uh, really, really interesting movie. It was directed by Charlotte Wells, and and shockingly, this is her first, uh, this is her feature length film debut, and this movie just totally leveled me. I mean, it does so many things well. I feel like it's 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 loving, it's intentional, it's bold in its choices. It's about a a daughter kind of reconciling with her uh, relationship with her father in a retrospective way. So some of the parts of the film are told via old camcorder videos. They're told via memories that she's looking back on. And what I love about this movie is that you don't know what it's going to be. And it's very understated and it's very much a slow burn, but in the end, all of those tactics kind of lower your defenses and get you totally vulnerable so that they can hit you with a really good emotional payoff. That's not like any sort of big twist or anything. It's highly interpretive, um, but I thought it was just lovely. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then number one, we talked about it quite a bit. For me, it's everything everywhere all at once. Um, I love the mass appeal that this brings. I love that people are potentially being introduced to and to, a love of film through this movie. And I think that uh, the accessibility of it, the, the ingenuity of it, the creativity, all of it, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Ki Hui Kwan, great performances. Also, Stephanie Su, excellent as, as the daughter and, and at times the antagonist of this film, um, really loved it. I, I think it will probably, you know, I think it should win Best Picture. Obviously, it's number one on my list, but I think it's got a decent shot at it too. All right, Lynn, I will go next so you can be last in the okay. prime position spot. Um, I'm just going to, my three most disappointed films, I'm going to start with something that was on Apple Plus, uh, American Pie, The Day the Music Died. Uh, I was expecting answers. And Don McLean 
said he was going to give us answers and he gave us contradictions, non-answers. And it's more about uh, the history of Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens than the song. I mean, they go through every... I wanted them to go line by line through the song and say, this is the Rolling Stones. This is Bob Dylan. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's all metaphor. Bullshit. It's a lie. It's a waste of your time. If you're expecting answers, you're not going to get them in American Pie the day the music died. Number two is I'm disappointed because this is the end of a franchise after 11 movies, Fantastic Beasts, the Secrets of Dumbledore killed Harry Potter and the Wizarding World. I don't know what they were thinking. I said this on the first Fantastic Beast movie. J.K. Rowling cannot write a script. She needs an editor. She needs Steve Cloves to write good movies for her, or at least movies that are at least watchable. And Steve Cloves was a part of this movie. He was in as probably a script doctor, but he was not writing the screenplays and secrets of Dumbledore. Luckily they tied everything up so it can end with a tiny, tidy little bow, but I don't think we are going to get any more. They said there were going to be five. I don't think we'll get the other two because the wizarding world is just going to live on in video games and the theme parks. And my most disappointing movie of the year is a horrible film that hopefully nobody watched. It's called watcher. And it is the city over in Europe is beautiful. The story can be taken care of in five minutes but instead, for an hour and a half, Bern Gorman, who I loved in the Doctor Who universe on the uh, Torchwood show, is you. the neighbor thinks that he is a serial killer. Okay, and that's it. That's the whole movie. You don't need to see it. Don't watch it. Uh, Rick Sanborn said, hey, I saw that movie that you told me not to watch. And I did. And he said... You were right. So don't see Watcher. Um, I don't want to. My favorite films of the year. We've talked about all of them already. We talked about Weird. We talked about Marcel. We've talked about everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I want to give one more plug to Pompo the Cinephile, which is a really great Japanese anime film, even though the last third of it is padding because there's a payoff joke at the very end that there needs to be padding for because the most interesting character leaves for the last 20 minutes but i think that if you're a fan of good animation and i i just said marcel the shell which jim i like marcel better than pinocchio it's got less fascism in it um so uh i like pompo the cinemaphile or cinephile add an extra m but those films, we've talked about them all, so we don't need to go over them again. Lynn, your turn. All right. All right. Everybody's mentioned all the ones that uh, I like. So uh, I'll start with the worst. Um, 
I agree about Babylon being terrible. The, it made me angry. It made me angry. There was nobody to care about. It had no heart or soul. And it's three hours and nine minutes and it's trash. And uh, we have freaks in a basement eating rats. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's just one of the things that I cannot unsee. There's quite a few things I can't unsee. Um, uh, it's just a waste of time, a colossal waste of time, talent, and money. And that's all I will say about that. Blonde is horrible. Torture porn. Horrible. I cannot unsee the JFK scenes. I can't unsee all the exploitation. It just is one pile on trauma it's just it's just a horrible horrible script uh anna de armas uh, spends uh 80 of the movie uh, uh, uh of topless that's the she only thing terrific. worth seeing <laughs> but, but she's she's a good she's a good actress and i feel i feel bad for her that, that she was saddled with such a horrible script and direction because you oh. could see that she was really putting a lot of effort into her uh, sure, channeling Marilyn. She looks. There are scenes where she looks, not sounds, but looks perfectly. I mean, it's fantastic. I can see it getting nominated for makeup. Yes, yes, Hair and makeup and because she looks and great. Fashions. And I thought Adrian Brody was fine as Arthur Miller, the only one who uh, thought she was smart. And uh, well, uh, on on a fictitious book, you don't know if any of that. None of it's yeah, true. Well, well, yeah, because the Joe DiMaggio character, Bobby Cannavale, is just called the baseball player or the athlete. And, but Bobby Cannavale is the, what it, yeah, it's just It was terrible. It's, it's just, it's just a it's, total. It's not worthy of our discussion, that's for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. no. And I agree. Uh, don't worry, darling. Um, I had, I just think that that is such junk too. But my number one worst movie is Deep Water. It opened on Hulu. It is Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. And it's based on a Patricia Highsmith novel from the 60s. And it's totally ridiculous. This trampy woman is um, uh, uh, flaunting her affairs to her husband who starts murdering the guys. Oh, and nobody thinks it's him. And Tracy, well, no, nobody Lynn, nobody Lynn except Tracy Letts, who I yeah. don't, I can't believe got involved in this junk. Oh, I know. And Brian Tyree Henry, it's just so misguided. Like they're all at a party, and and Ben Affleck drowns the guy in the pool, and they're all like, oh, oh, and they're all partying and drinking and everything, and it's just ridiculous. These people, and and she is so trampy and so flaunting herself all over, hanging on all these guys, and it's like, what? and she's a terrible mother to boot. But anyway, it's called Deep Water. It's just the most god-awful junk and so in my my top three movies she said women talking and elvis you've all mentioned but i want to bring up the the she said you know i do love these women filmmakers getting their their day in the sun 
Uh, Maria Schrader, or Schrader directed this, and Rebecca Lankowitz adapted the book by Jody Cantor and uh, Megan Tuohy from the New York Times. This movie, I've been, a, as you all know, and I keep saying it, um, you know, I've been working as a journalist for 45 years. This movie shows why journalism matters. It shows that it's a historical record of a time these women now uh, gave voice to countless victims. It is a chronicle of a watershed moment in American history. It's an important tipping point that helped launch the Me Too movement. And, and at its heart, it's a workplace account of two driven working moms. And they made the world better for their daughters. And there's something to really, um, to really uh, be proud of here. And it just shows a, a Joe, a Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan uh, show the integrity and the professionalism of these reporters and it gets it right. And I'm really sorry it was not a bigger hit because it deserves better. And I hope people find it online. Women Talking's got the year's best acting ensemble. It is bold, it is brave. And uh, it's going to win the Robert Altman Award at the Independent Spirit. And I think uh, Sarah Polly, like Jim Tudor said, did a brilliant job. To me, uh, when Rooney Mara says, love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, why does it result in so much violence? I think that is just a powerful, brilliant line. I think they're all good, but Claire Foy stands out to me. And it's the fact that this is a true story, that this happened in 2010. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just remarkable, but it's also about faith and forgiveness and trauma. And it does it in such a quiet way. I mean, it's, you know, women in a barn, uh, so it's just surprising. And then Elvis, I liked all the gaudiness of it. I liked, um, I liked the, the, the movements there. To me, when Elvis does the Christmas special, when they wanted him to get in a Christmas sweater and make money for the sponsors, and he totally blows away with just being Elvis. Uh, that is just, to me, that is just such a signature moment. And uh, I'm glad that people got to understand the highs and lows of Elvis's career, but also the kind of person he was. Because I think all that, you know, he's become such a caricature in pop culture that to get down to the basics of who he was and what he stood for and how he grew up, I just think that that is so necessary. Besides, it's just a mesmerizing movie. And I know we mentioned Marcel the Shell, and it's really my fourth, but is there a more whimsical and joyous movie this year? No, it's it's cute. And the fact that they used to be married is, you know, that's all behind the scenes stuff, but you can still you can tell that they have an affection for each other. And I, I still say there's too much live action in Marcel the Shell to be considered an animated film. So I'm I'm a, a stickler for that. But I, I, I do agree, it's very entertaining and I'd certainly put it up in the best comedies of the year and best uh, adapted screenplays. But- I'm gonna uh, you know, yeah. Go ahead, so go ahead, the, I'm sorry. 
but as I was say, that's 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 the problem with the Chippendale. There's too much live action too. But uh, that's definitely one of my favorite animated films of the year too. So sorry, Jim. That is uh, considered a television movie because it won an Emmy. Well, so did that OJ documentary on uh, that was on ESPN, but that got an Oscar. So I just didn't. But but they stopped. That's that was because it won an Emmy and an Oscar. That's why they're like, we need to solidify these rules, which they have not done. Okay, so guys, before we wrap it up, I want you to recommend to our audience a movie that is well suited for this coming up holiday weekend. They're going to be home with the fam if they're not out celebrating. What's the one movie that's available on streaming or rental that they should uh, they should check out this weekend? I can go first. Uh, uh, I'll go with uh, Park Chan Wook's. Decision to Leave, which is a, a foreign film. It's on Mubi, M-U-B-I. I think that's how you pronounce it. You can get a seven-day free trial through Amazon Prime Video channels. And I highly suggest watching it. It's a, it's a little bit of a neo-noir detective film. It's a love story. Um, some of the best films this year have been, have been foreign language films. So if you are down to read some subtitles and ready for a, a good story that will... Uh, with, with a great ending and something that will really keep you thinking about it for a while. Decision to leave is, is where you should go. Go ahead, Jim. Okay. Well, as long as we're, we're talking about recent films, I take it, Lynn. So uh, you mentioned Cam about having, getting a seven day free trial. I got a seven day free trial to stars. So I was able to watch the unbearable weight of massive talent, Yes. which if the kids are a little older, it's it's uh oh it's just an excellent film and nicholas cage has such a such a great sense of humor about himself and uh and pedro pascal is great in it uh sharon horgan i believe is her name plays his ex-wife in it and she's terrific in just about anything so that would be my my recommendation for a new year's movie so it is so much fun. And uh, like you said, I voted for Pedro Pascal for a sporting actor. And uh, just a second, the cam thing for decision to leave. It's number six on my top 10. It's number six on my top 10, Lynn. So that's, oh, that's convenient. How about kindred spirits? <laughs> okay, Carl. Jackass forever. Watch it <laughs> because you will laugh. Yes, it's juvenile, but... It's jacket. I believe it's on Paramount Plus right now, and I, I still loved the guys from Jackass. Johnny, since it was filmed during the pandemic, you have Johnny Knoxville at the beginning of the movie has dark hair, and then the next scene he is white-haired old man Johnny Knoxville, and then he goes back to because they shot it out of order. But then then you see all the the COVID. They're playing pranks on each other during a covid lockdown and it's really i think it's funny and the new guys and women in the film make it that there should be a fifth one i enjoyed it and i'm glad that they did it well carl you know what what struck me and i mentioned that to a couple of people is the the obvious incredible affection between everyone on, on in that film they there are these pranks, these painful pranks. I like to call it <laughs> genitalia abuse or assaults. Uh, somehow bonds them together, and, uh, and that's that's uh, pain. That's in it. 
Yeah, yeah, the pain is 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 bonding to them, and that's kind of endearing. And I know it's it's silly and all that, but I I laughed hard at it. So it's very funny, and and the I hate Boston, but the Boston film critics had a tie for best ensemble, Jackass Forever, and Women Talking, which Sarah Polly said. I can retire now. This is my favorite thing ever. But I, but then a commenter right underneath said, is this one movie or two? <laughs> Women talking jackass forever. All right. Now mine is, if you haven't, everybody's seen Glass Onion on Netflix, I assume. So, because that's really fun. But I, I love the name dropping and I love uh, the cameos. I love everything about that movie. I couldn't figure it out. So that's a plus. But the one I'm going to recommend is if you haven't seen Hustle on Netflix, if you think, oh, it's Adam Sandler, I'm not watching it, you will be surprised. It is a basketball movie. And well, how are you surprised after Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems? You cannot well, be surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised, but people that think it's going to be, you know, a typical Adam Sandler comedy will be shocked. Queen Latifah plays his wife and they're believable as a couple. It's a great behind the scenes look at the NBA. There's a lot of NBA players. I'm not familiar with a lot of them, but I do know who Anthony Edwards is. And the the dude that plays the, the player he takes a chance on who really plays in the NBA is quite good so i think if you just always pass it by if you're looking for movies on netflix and you see it it's worth your time so that's us giving us giving you hints about what movies you should see for the weekend did i miss anybody no you're good um jim jim tudor can be found on zeke film and he is the president of the st louis film critics association jim bats where can we find you sir you can find me over at wearemoviegeeks.com. We'll be posting our uh, top 10 of the year list here in the next couple of days. Cam, where are you and your uh, heterosexual life partner hanging out these days? <laughs> me and my co-host, Kirk, who could not make it today, uh, are available on the podcast called Popcorn for Breakfast. We're available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also on YouTube, just search Popcorn for Breakfast. I had Popcorn for Breakfast today. Yes, it's the best. It is the best. Uh, you can find me at underscore Carl the intern on Twitter and Instagram and seven days a week on the radio on 97.1 and KMOX radio. Lynn, where are you? I am on uh, my website, poplifestl.com, where you can find this podcast and on Apple and SoundCloud. Um, I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. We're doing our best of in alphabetical order on January 6th. I am uh, on KTRS radio, but I'm moving from the Ray Hartman St. Louis in the No show that ended uh, this week. Uh, with my top 10. Uh, I'm going to be on with Jennifer Bloom and Wendy Weiss during the 10 to, mid to noon on Friday. You've gone from 10 o'clock at night to 10 o'clock in the morning. I know. How about that? And I was on with Jake Cancer today. FYI, if you want to go back, because he filled in for McGraw. Um, let's see. I think that is it. We wish you all the best. We will see you at the movies. And uh, everybody's... 
Happy New Year and stay safe. And let's hope we have just a slew of wonderful films to talk about and not all these disappointing, sad, depressing things. <laughs> we, wish you, we wish you joy and happiness in the new year. Bye. Bye.